0: Mm-hmm.
1: Welcome, guys, to the Social Skills for Children podcast. My name is Jason. I'm your host. I'm a brand identity designer myself. Very fascinated uh, with social skills, the subject itself, and some of the topics, you know, we end up discussing on. On our podcast, it's a very small podcast, but we try to be as impactful as possible. Now, today, I have two uh, very close guests of mine and good friends also. I consider them like a family. I have Dr. Stone, Uh, whom you see right here on the top and we have Melissa uh, you know who is also with us right now so today's topic is about selective mutism we had a little technical hiccup so just in case if you are watching this show live you will hear what happens before (laughs) you know things uh, stuff you know which can uh, you know, sometimes happen. Technical glitches here and there. Now, something which is a part of the process. So, if you're watching the extended version, just remember, uh, we, j- we just had to restart the whole show again. So, I want to give Dr. Stone the opportunity to introduce herself. So, briefly tell us, Dr. Stone, who you are, what do you do? I want to also want to give you an update, The your website, write, read and lead ORG. When I checked online, it's showing the domain has expired. You may want to get that fixed.
2: Oh no, it hasn't expired. It it's um being redone. So GoDaddy is working on it and um they'll be finished I think before the end of the month. So it'll be up live. Okay, okay, no problem.
1: Thank you so much for updating that. So who are yes. you Dr. Stone? So you know give us a short introduction that would be really cool.
2: I'm Dr. Suki Stone, and I'm a literacy specialist. I teach dyslexic children and adults to read in 14 days or less. And I really thank Jason and Melissa for inviting me um, for this topic, because as a brand new teacher um, teaching fourth grade, I had a child who had selective mutism. And I learned a little bit about it, and I am glad they asked me to be on to express the experiences i've
1: had thank you so much for that dr stone so uh i want to welcome melissa melissa thank you so much for joining this conversation uh so tell tell us what do you do uh, who are you and uh, why you are interested in this specific topic
0: Hi, my name is Melissa Kent. I'm an educational consultant based in Clearwater, Florida. I provide advocacy services as well as tutoring services in all subjects for all students. When I was a young girl, I had selective mutism, which is an extreme social anxiety disorder. So I did not speak at school. However, I spoke at home. Um, it's a very complex disorder and not a lot of people understand it so I'm here to raise awareness on it thank you so much for
1: this <laughs> well thank you thank you so much Melissa for that short introduction that was really really appreciative of you I'm going to quickly give people an overview of what selective mutism is before we deep dive into further there's a lot of articles just on selective mutism just observations and giving an overview if you want uh, you know please go through some of them selective mutism is a complex childhood anxiety disorder uh, characterized by a child's inability to speak and communicate effectively in a social setting okay some of these interactions could be verbal -verbal, nonverbal. you know therefore social engagement is generally compromised now while i was doing a bit of research on this subject and this is a question i want to ask dr stone Uh, An article stated that around 90% of children with selective mutism also have social phobia and social anxiety. Now, I don't know how true this is, but what are your thoughts on that?
2: Uh, I would say that um, the child really stayed away from the social, uh, in school, the, the, the social things that we had, the recess He played alone all by himself. Um, Sometimes he just sat alone. And in school, when he communicated, he was able to communicate with me um, actually in writing. There was a trust, um, not a detrust issue. There was a trust issue that um, his parents thought if I accepted his writing of answers or even if he had questions that he would do that but um it was always away from the regular classroom so that he sat in the classroom and he listened but he never participated and they also asked me um and i was good about that of not ever calling on him so i didn't Um, but i did reinforce him for his grades when he s- sent any paper in or whatever he got. So he liked the M&Ms and the happy faces. And he felt very, um, I guess it, there was a connection between the two of us, but I never forced him to be part of any kind of socialization. So even when we did a game like, like ba- basketball for um, uh, physical education, he sat out. He he wasn't, you know, um, and I let him sit wherever and read or do whatever that he wanted to. He he just was socially inept, but I never forced him to do anything
1: like that. That, that is super cool of you, uh, Dr. Stone, because you didn't force the child uh, in a certain way. You let the person evolve and be comfortable and, you know, let the trust build in. And you want the child to welcome you and accept you because that in that way, I think they would be more equipped to hear what you have to say and they know uh, that okay. yeah, so I was saying that you know, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I just got a message from Melissa, so that's I was just looking at that. So yeah, so let let me actually get into the uh, next question uh, which I have. Uh, for you, why does a child develop selective mutism in the first place?
2: You're asking me why? Yeah. <laughs> I think that that there is um, some kind of emotional I- inside themselves.
1: Okay, d- so, but but you don't um, think it's genetic, or uh, you know, it could be something which they inherited maybe from a family member? Do you think there can be signs of not that?
2: Selective, not selective mutism. The other kind of mutism, maybe. Okay. So, you know, there, there's two, but selective mutism is more of an emotional, um, where they actually cut themselves off from people. It, it, they want to be alone. And um, it, it's, It's kind of, I I don't know that it's related to autism, but it's kind of like um, the autism children that I've worked with uh, end up not being socially adept. They shy away from social situations. And when you talk about selective, that's their choice. So if something is your choice, i wouldn't think that it would be genetic i would think that it has to do with an emotional feeling of um, how they feel about interacting with people and even interacting with family members um once they are part of that family and included in that family and loved by that family they can maybe speak to their brothers and sisters or speak to their parents but even in the very beginning the selective would be more of an emotional thing than a genetic thing
1: absolutely absolutely so so we have melissa who also joined the conversation as well i think she's on her cell phone finally (laughs) so melissa i was just asking dr stone why does a child develop uh, you know, so selective mutism in the first place?
0: That's a great question. It is very complex. Um, I think there is a genetic factor to it, but I'm not a medical doctor, so I couldn't vouch for that. Um, but definitely there is like some genetic factor to it. I don't think there's any like one reason why a child would develop it, if that makes sense. I think there's like no reason.
2: Is she
1: frozen? Yeah. <laughs> Technology.
2: <laughs> and I really wanted her answer. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I, okay, so, I, I,
1: <laughs> so Melissa, if, if you can hear me, can you be on just on LinkedIn? Maybe, you know, that would make it easy for all of us.
0: Okay. Can you hear me now?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna switch off uh, the streaming. Okay. okay. So you know, let's actually do just audio for you, and we know that you are there. So thank you. And what yes, I'm gonna do I'm is, here. when you speak, okay, when you speak, I'm gonna have your old picture, not younger picture when you were young, up on the screen, so that people know it's you. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, so you said, uh, okay, you said that it. Okay, Doctor Suki is saying that it's not possible. Uh, Maybe, but I don't think she said it's not completely genetic or inherited from a family. But in your case, you're saying, Melissa, it's possible it could be inherited or it could be genetic.
0: Yes. uh, Neither my parents have it, nor do my siblings. I've just read that it has a genetic factor.
1: Okay, 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 no problem, no problem. So, according to you, uh, you know, why does a child develop selective mutism in the first place? Apart from inheritance and uh, genetic, uh, you know, predisposition or something. or You know, do you think uh, there could be other signs? Uh, maybe separation anxiety? Moodiness? I don't know. I, I can't hear her. Dr. Son, let's actually move on. So question number okay. three. Melissa, are you back?
0: I'm here. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, yeah. Just be on LinkedIn. Don't toggle anything. Don't switch. Okay, we can hear you now. Okay, go ahead.
0: So I think there is many different reasons why a child would develop it. I think it's very complex. And I don't think there's a simple answer for that question, but it's a great question. So I appreciate you asking.
1: No problem. No problem. So question number three, and and I'm trying to see if Dr. Stone, if you can answer this, uh, what is the difference between selective mutism and traumatic mutism? Um,
2: I think that traumatic mutism is more medically understood and has a medical Uh, as well as an emotional kind of thing so that it wouldn't necessarily be just uh, selective means the child themselves chooses whereas the other might be a combination of things that are part of why the child decides that they don't want to speak
1: oh this is this is very interesting of what you said so what you're trying to say that let's say that we have a a sudden loss in the family, maybe the child witnessed a death of a family member or any other traumatic event. You know, let's say the house went you know was on fire or something. They had they lost kind of everything. You know, so this this trauma can lead to traumatic mutism, which is medically yes. accepted. Okay, and yes. this can happen all of a sudden, right? Uh, yes. Okay, and in in the other case, selective mutism. Uh, I I think in, in the pers- the child who suffers selective mutism, mutism uh, you know, may not be mute in all settings, but maybe a few. Because he or right. she right well,
2: but but their Jason their what do I want to call it their choice? They have chosen that. That's where it it's what I learned, and again, it was a long time ago. But that's where I learned what selective mutism was, was that child, according to the parents, actually made the decision themselves to not talk. And there were some emotional things that occurred. Again, it, it was a long time ago, I don't remember um, prying into the family matter but I do remember the family telling me that they had sessions with a psychiatrist and that they were helping their son that way to find out what emotionality he was going through so that he would actually be uh, have selectively chosen not to speak
1: that makes sense let's actually hear from Melissa Melissa. What are your thoughts on this? What is the difference between uh, selective mutism and traumatic mutism? I, do you have expertise in this specific subject matter?
0: Um, not really, but I do like how you guys explained it. I think that you're totally on spot when you say that uh, traumatic would be like that child went through something and is so traumatized, like they have the inability to speak. Uh, so I think you guys explained it well, thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Okay, let me, let me actually ask you the next question, Melissa, and then we will go to Dr. Stone because you have not got the opportunity to speak much. Uh, what behavioral characteristics does a child with selective mutism portray in a social setting? I know it's a tough, loaded question. Any behavioral characteristics you can think of, maybe you can reflect back on some of the things which you went through as a child. Melissa, you're on mute. (laughs) Melissa. Okay. Hello. Yes, yes, Melissa. Can you repeat the question? Uh, What behavioral characteristic does a child with selective mutism portray in a social setting?
0: Sure. It's all going to depend on where the child is at. Uh, So if the child is at home in a comfortable setting, they are completely normal. Um, They will be happy. They will be running around talking. However, when they are in a social, such as school, they clam up. Speak. Their body language is often freezed up. Um... And they're unable to physically speak because of the anxiety. I hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So Dr. Stone, uh, I, I, you know, let's actually hear from you, what kind of behavioral characteristic does a child with selective mutism portray? And, and to build some, you know momentum with this question, I know about social anxiety symptoms. I know things which are temperamental. Physical symptoms, uh, something to do with their appearance, emotional, development delays. I've also heard something about sensory uh, integration, dysfunction. Okay, I'm not, I'm not really aware of it completely, but I heard about it. General symptoms and behavioral symptoms, comorbid anxieties, communication difficulties, social engagement difficulties, etc. So you know, let's actually hear from Dr. Stone. What is your profession? What is your professional opinion on this?
2: Um, <clears throat> behavioral-wise, they really stay away from the class. Like, and I'm gonna use the classroom as a um, a space because that's where I experienced it. Um, this child that I had stayed away from anything that was social. So he chose not to participate in physical education and um, we, we, we would have like a, a basketball uh, and I would divide the class into two teams and he did not participate in a team. Um, he just separated himself. If he played on the playground, most of the time I did not see him play. But if he played on the pro- playground he played by himself so i would say that his demeanor was a very sad demeanor he he sh- didn't show uh, very often how to, how to smile he wasn't a person that had the um and he didn't show a lot of energy either um he, he he did do things in the class. When we lined up to go out for recess, he lined up to go out for recess, but there was no interaction um, physically. Uh, he was like, he made sure he was the last person that left the room. Um, so he planned his space to be away from the children. So I would say that that was his behavior. He, he was not um, emotionally connected to the children as we did things. Um, and as far as participation, um, I want to mention too, I was very, and this is after talking to the parents, but I was very cognizant to, if you will, leave him alone. So he didn't participate, but he got the material done. And I didn't, if I, if I was doing um, like little teams, not teams, but like three children together or four children together to have this activity, um, whether it was a science activity or a, he did it on his own and he didn't have to talk to anybody. So I was very cognizant of that. But his behavior was one of, iso- that's the word I was looking for, Jason. It was one of isolation.
1: awesome awesome thank you so much for sharing that uh dr stone so let's actually get into the, the next question all right so the next question is what are some of the most okay let's actually skip that let's go to question number six when are most children diagnosed as having selective mutism
0: I can go ahead and answer that. Yeah, go ahead, Melissa. So usually it begins when they start school. So around ages three to eight, Uh, I was diagnosed around seven. I was in second or third grade. Um, But that's usually when the parents will notice that there is something going on because Before that, the kid is usually just at home and not really in that many social situations. So it usually gets um, noticed when a child starts school or other activities like a team, like Dr. Suki was saying, uh, team sports. They will often shy away from crowds and stuff like that.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that, Melissa. Dr. Stone, what what are your thoughts on this question? Uh, When are most (laughs) children diagnosed with selective mutism?
2: What Melissa said was very, very spot on because when I was talking to the parent, um, you know, usually in fourth grade, uh, the children are participating in outside sports or they want to have um, piano lessons or they want to have some kind of. And um, his parents told me that um, they didn't put him in anything um, because he basically didn't want any kind of socialization at all. It, just his family was all that he was, you know, counted on as far as um, doing any kind of communication. So that when children at that age, Melissa was talking about not necessarily three, but in second, third grade, fourth grade, or or um, high, higher grades are participating in sports or um, drama or uh, music, uh, they don't end up participating in those, as opposed to other children that, that say, oh, I want to um, take this class, or I want to do soccer after school, or I want to do that, that they have no um, interest uh, in those kind of choices. So I, I very much support uh, Melissa's answer to um, that question.
1: That, it is, that is really lovely. So in that case, Melissa, my next question, since you were into the education space for a really long time, why is that so many few teachers, therapists, physicians understand selective mutism?
0: That's a great question. And I think there's many different answers, but one of the biggest reasons would be that it's, it's a rare disorder. Uh, only one in 140 kids have it, so there is not a lot of training or supports for students with selective mutism, um, and sometimes it can be misdiagnosed for something else like autism, or sometimes parents just think that the kid is like having um, a phase, like they're they're just not talking for a couple weeks. But yeah, that's my
1: answer. Yeah, that, that is really cool. That brings me actually to another myth which I found online. Uh, maybe you can speak on this. So selective mutism is not the same as autism, right? It's two different things. But many people misunderstand it to be uh, linked to one another. Am I right, Melissa? Yes. That is true, I guess. <laughs> Let's actually hear from you, Dr. Stone. Uh, why, why, why do you think so many limited resources are actually put together for teachers, therapists, physicians uh, to understand? I always have challenge, you know, pronouncing this word physician. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I, no, but that's okay. <laughs> but
2: physicians, even physicians, but, but the teachers and counselors, even counselors, um, as well as speech therapists uh, have difficulty because it, it, there aren't that many children that are out there with it. And it hasn't been, uh, and I, I will go there, it's been like confused, as you said, with autism. Because part of autism is the children are socially separated and they don't have good social, pardon me, They don't have good social skills. Well, in this case, the children don't participate because of their choice. And again, I I want to go in the direction of, that's not the only reason. Um, I believe strongly that there can be um, uh, DNA or genetic um, or even, um, you know, families, might have the uh, selective mutism, um, and then a, a child is is born and and that happens. Um, so there and she said the word, really, really, I appreciate it, Melissa. She said it's a complex kind of um, diagnosis, and that's probably why teachers and um, uh, therapists are not trained in it because it, it doesn't have the kind of, um, wide range that autism would have. And now autism is seen, um, in the social settings as being understood to investigate and to more children are being diagnosed with autism. Sometimes they're misdiagnosed as well. And, uh, so that has to be looked at too. Um, but, uh, I definitely agree with, um, Melissa in the fact that, um, there are different reasons and different, uh, kinds of, uh, ways that therapists don't hear about it because there aren't that many, or, um, the teachers are not trained in it because there aren't that many cases out there. And it's sort of like not as widespread as autism.
1: I, I, I totally you know, understand what you guys are saying. It makes total sense to me. I want to thank you, Dr. Stone and Melissa, for trying to, you know, it's such a complex subject and you're trying to just break it down into bit-sized pieces so that we can all chew on it and try to process it. This brings me to my next question. If, if parents suspect their ch- child to, you know, to have selective mutism or if they have been diagnosed with selective mutism, what should they do? What should be the next actionable steps or the steps they should take? Uh, maybe I can start with Melissa and move on to Dr. Stone. Melissa?
0: Sure. Excellent question. Because I'm sure many parents wonder, like, you know, is this just a phase or what? Why <laughs> is my child not speaking at school? Um, definitely, they need to go speak to their child's pediatrician, and the pediatrician can refer them to a psychologist, therapist, um, but definitely parents want to seek out professional help as soon as they think that there might be something there, just because the sooner the kid can get support, the better off they'll be in the long run.
1: I appreciate you sharing that, Melissa. So let's actually hear from Dr. Stone. So Dr. Stone, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, If parents suspect their child to have selective mutism, what are some of the steps they should take in addition to what just Melissa just spoke about?
2: Um, I think that uh, parents, this is kind of a a different uh, path on it, but I think that parents need to reassure that child that they love them and that they are part of a wonderful family in spite of whatever the family is going through and that they have their brothers and sisters um obviously the last thing i said if they're an only child that's hard to to um explain (laughs) about their brothers and sisters but if they have more than um just that sibling, um, just that child, that they build a very um, just acceptance for that child not wanting to talk. Um, And I also agree with Melissa that they should, um, if they're um, noteworthy, about thinking that it's selective mutism that they should see their pediatrician or see a doctor that would maybe specialize in selective mutism and uh, get some assistance and help for the child as well as the parents so that that child is felt a part of something he's a group within the family and their opinion um, the child's opinion is both worthy, <clears throat> so that they feel that they're not isolated, and that they feel that they're part of uh, something that they can contribute to.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, f- you know, from what I understand from this conversation, we you know we all are having <clears throat> at this moment of time uh, is that don't ignore this condition Uh, can we call this as a condition dr. stone is this really a condition i think (coughs) i think you can yes okay so don't ignore (coughs) this condition if you see signs do not assume uh, the child is okay Okay, this can lead to something very major, especially, you know, when they transition into adulthood, and you want to take a uh, precautionary steps well in advance to make sure the child receives the care, love, affection, they need to uh, mingle themselves to get into that social setting. Okay, now, what I and upon just looking things up online, okay, I want to just clarify because um, Melissa did experience, uh, you know, selective mutism at a young age. Now, one of the article which I stumbled upon, it stated uh, that you know people, children with uh, selective mutism, okay, are afraid to make mistakes and are also embarrassed to eat in front of others. Is this like a real thing?
0: Yeah, I think that there is definitely a perfectionist component to it. Um, I do remember as a young girl, like I wanted my hair like perfect and like my clothes had to be perfectly matched um however I do think that 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 is normal for like some people though just like they have like that perfectionist in them um to eat in front of people I personally did not experience that but I have heard that people with selective yeah I had that issue oh did you yeah
1: I had that issue I never used to uh, you know be comfortable because I don't know I, I used to feel that people used to stare at me for some reason mm-hmm. I don't know I just feel like everybody just used to look at the way how I ate my my lunch or you know whatever I I, I think you get the idea
0: so yes and that's exactly how somebody would explain it they would explain like they're on, they're in the spotlight
1: yeah yeah you, you know <laughs> what you're right actually you know yeah it did feel like you were in the spotlight <laughs> And, and I, I Melissa? Also,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry for interrupting. I didn't mean, to finish your thought.
1: No, uh, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Dr. Song.
2: Uh, did you eat with your classmates or did you eat
0: alone? I did eat with my classmates. I don't ever remember feeling like embarrassed or shy. About eating, I guess because everybody was doing it, it was like lunchtime, you know what I mean. And we we had like mm. parties with pizzas and stuff. Like I do remember participating, but I'm sure there were times where I did feel a little awkward um, about eating. The, the reason I, don't remember I asked eating. was because the, the little um,
2: boy ate by himself.
1: Oh, I, I I used to do that too, Doctor Stone. So Aww. I mean, that's what is interesting. About what she's saying, because I used to eat alone when I was a child. In school. Yeah. How? I I, I don't know. I used to be the last person to leave uh, the recess, the the break time, and I used mm-hmm. to find a corner and I used to just sit and, uh-huh. and eat by myself and used to come back.
2: That's exactly what the little boy did. The way that you described it, Jason.
1: Mm, interesting. That you did. So, apparently, Melissa, I think we both had similar conditions.
0: (laughs) We're very rare. (laughs) Very specially
2: rare, though.
1: (laughs) Okay, I I want to really ask you because I I know I could not actually upload all the pictures uh, to our stream because I have to actually change it to a PDF and then only I can display it on a live show. But uh-huh. some of the pictures which you sent me Melissa about wh- when you were young it had a lot of pictures where you did not smile very blank expression frozen look okay stiff and 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 certain pictures when you pose to take a uh, you know a family picture like a a group photo your shoulders were you know leaning in you know forward it was a complete awkward way how okay i'm not trying to Okay, make fun of you, Melissa. I'm just asking you what made you uh, you know, be in that way? Like, you know, why were you presenting yourself in what was running in your mind, if you recollect from your childhood? Um
0: I I I completely understand what you're saying about the body language and I know exactly what that looks like. I don't know why I was doing that or um you know why exactly I was I think to me I look uncomfortable and unhappy I'm sure I I was but at home I was a happy kid if that makes sense Mm, like it was a (laughs) different I was like two (laughs) kids like at home I spoke (laughs) but at school I was completely mute so um yeah there's definitely lots of complex things with the disorder
1: I understand. I understand. Uh, I I also read something, Doctor Stone, wherein it it states about uh, the sensory processing thing, which I just spoke. You know, maybe a few minutes back. They're sensitive to sound, light, touch, taste, and smell, and and some children have difficulty modulating uh, these. Uh, these input, these sensory in, inputs, which may affect their emotional uh, responses. Uh, have you actually witnessed this ever with a child which you were taking? Did he show these signs, or did you find? You know, were you able to come across anybody else who had similar signs?
2: No. Um. The only thing that he was sensitive of was the noise in the classroom so if the kids were laughing or if that you know he he you know he, he i could see in his body language it was uncomfortable for him he did not move you know he was in his chair or and i did something that and i i did this because of his parents and because of of him but um i didn't separate him from the group but his um desk was kind of like a little bit away from the class. So um, he liked it that way. And when I asked him, um, do you wanna come up in the front of the class and like be like, you know, one of the desks? And and he said, no, that was too close to the blackboard. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so <laughs> did he hear that minute? <laughs> yeah. No, and knows. I have to go
2: here, I have to go there with you and say, "How did I know that?" because he wrote it down. Remember, he was communicating Aww. with me writing. So when I would ask him, I mean, he he listened to me when I would ask him and I would say, you know, "Would you like to sit, you know, closer to the blackboard?" and he would wrote he wrote uh too close to you know that was too close he needed to be far away <laughs> yeah sorry
1: <I> <laughs> but you, you know I, I think it's about uh you know that the child has uh you know a comfort zone and anything beyond mm-hmm. that comfort zone I, I think they just find it awkward. In my case uh I I didn't used to like playing with other children. I used to just play alone. Uh, mm-hmm. When I was young, and uh, and it can be just me being just at home, maybe just playing me playing with the toys. But I was very happy just being there. And when I when I used to go, and sometimes you know, rarely because you have sports days or events, you know, sometimes you you are asked to participate in such social setting. You're forced to actually participate in it. Okay, I used to really worry about how if my clothes become too dirty. Okay, if people are gonna make fun of me, okay, more than you know participating in those events. I never used to participate, anyways. Okay, but I used to, I used to be very cautious, uh, you know something of those lines. I don't know. It, it was confusing to be. Could to be quite honest? Uh, we never yeah. had uh, the resources which we are speaking right now. At least during my childhood, we never had those resources to at least look at, reflect back on. I think maybe if that information was accessible. Uh, maybe things would have been a lot more easier uh, you know, through, through my development. But luckily, me and Melissa, I think we did the same thing, uh, is that we came out of that shell and we broke the silence.
2: I have a question. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to ask this question. Yeah. Did anything about your yourself being, how do I say, like, you had a strength in something as you grew and that strength was acknowledged and that helped you to grow out of your mutism. Uh... The recognition of something that you did that somebody acknowledged, whether it was a teacher or the kids in the school or your parents, although you, you might've not been selectively, Mute around your parents but but i wonder if you're and and i'm having trouble with i i I know
1: what you're saying i'll just tell you my view i i was just too upset of being abnormal i and i just wanted to fit in okay that's how i felt like you know you can stand out uh, to a large extent but at some point You don't want to be the odd man out because whenever you're the odd man out, people still look at you. And I just used to find it awkward. So I think that motivated me just to break it uh, and just to fit in. Because I I, I mean, at this moment of time, I embrace, uh, you know, the differentiating factor of me. But during that time, reputation, childhood, when you're trying to grow up, you know, those things matter a lot, right? Because you can get bullied and I used to get bullied a lot. Uh, so I don't know, you know, I want to actually hear from Melissa. Melissa, did you try doing the same thing? Were you trying to fit in <laughs> like myself?
0: <laughs> That's a good question. And, you know, it was when I was younger. I'm an adult now, but so I'm trying to remember back. Um, I'm sure I wanted to fit in. I eventually broke out of the shell because I did have like a very understanding teacher and that really helped me to feel comfortable to speak and then once I started speaking with her I gradually spoke with the students and then by the time I was in middle school it was it wasn't like an issue anymore I'm still shy to this day but
1: i'm not you yeah yeah you yeah, know that makes sense what do you think dr stone
2: no i i think that um she I, i'm listening to you very intuitively thinking that you had this opportunity for feeling yourself better than you did when you were younger and so you sort of broke out with starting to talk so i think it had to do with something inwardly that y- you were um kind of like uh debating with and and you know and so but i appreciated um hearing the, what you experienced and and how you um came out of and you said you're still shy but you have a, a different kind of feeling about yourself so that um you don't have to have the mutism anymore
1: Yeah, Melissa. So. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: it definitely is like a journey. I will say for sure, Um, I definitely was a very shy kid. I gradually got less shy and less shy, but I'm still very introverted, but I feel like I'm, I'm an introvert and I live in extroverted world. Um, But I do, I do take the experience and try to give back to the community as much as I can and help other people because i did feel so alone at that time uh going into teaching it was my goal to make sure that every kid in my class and every kid that i encountered was seen and heard even if they weren't talking you know i made sure to smile at every single kid and nurture them just like the teacher that had helped me come out of it help them even if they don't have person to them but just help them feel comfortable and build the rapport with them because the relationship with them is going to be everything.
2: I have another question for you, Melissa.
0: Sure. In your
2: career path and you've done a lot of things um, from your advocacy and now you're going to be doing tutoring. Have you ever met another selective mute person, child?
0: Uh, I did work with one child who had slept Uh, he did open up to me on a one-on-one setting, but in the classroom, he was completely shut down, he didn't have many friends, Uh, so I tried really hard to just like build a relationship with him and eventually, you know, he did open up and it is very rare, so. It's yeah. hard no, to know. It, it, you know you. I'm, I'm glad you're helping
1: that child out, Melissa. And now kudos to you on that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, like, you know, circumstantial... Okay, and we, we would be wrapping up the show in about four minutes. Uh, circumstantial, but do you think uh, it's possible circumstance can lead an adult to be mute also? And the reason I ask you this is because... Yeah. I was in a situation a few years back and I decided to be mute for months and not speak to anybody because I had so much anxiety from the situation that I I didn't feel that anybody would be able to understand, process or comprehend what I feel. So I I was like, it's pointless to waste energy and, and resources on it. Like, you know, I want to rather be just to myself you know i just want to get your professional opinion on this Uh, is that something uh, what do you think dr sloan yeah
2: i think that there can be adults that would choose to be selective mutes um as they reflect on their experiences as adults whether they decide that whatever trauma you can have a trauma as an adult that can um, catapult into selective mutism. So I don't think it's just children that experience it. I don't know anyone um, in my life. I have not come across an adult that has selective mutism, but I believe that it's a possibility.
0: I believe it's a possibility as well but i think it's more common in children because i feel like with an adult it would have to be like backwards you know what i mean like they learn to talk they go talk they go to school they talk but then they're gonna like reverse everything as an adult but i do believe that it is possible and i'm sure there's someone out there that is an adult and is suffering with mutism
1: yeah absolutely absolutely i i just feel it's about just being understood and i i think an adult would behave in such a way just based on my experience because i didn't feel understood by people around me
2: mm-hmm.
1: i think that was the reason I, I i went closed off like you know it, it was pointless sure like. yeah makes sense so mm-hmm. I, you know any closing remarks any anything you guys w- you know want to offer to the audience who are listening for the past an hour 13 minutes <laughs>
0: i just want to yeah, say thank you best. to everybody for your patience and for being here and discussing this topic and if anybody would like to find more about me they can visit my website at the educationalconsulting.com or find me on instagram at melissa the advocate
2: um i just want to thank you for inviting me to share my uh limited knowledge about selective mutism and um my closing uh thoughts are that it's possible to uh in your lifetime um especially as a teacher or as a parent experience a child that has selective mutism and um to get in touch with me, my website, www.rightreadlead.org is right now in process. So it's not finished. So you can email me at drstone at And my website should be up the first part of November.
1: Thank you so much for that, Dr. Stone. On On that note, guys, I just want to let you know, that if you want to say hello to me, okay, feel free to reach out to me on the website which I have just mentioned. You should be able to find it under the description. Links to everything, uh, you know, all the links to Melissa's website, Doctor Stone's website. You should be able to find it uh, under the description. So, so reach out to us if you if you want us to actually speak on a specific topic on social skills please reach out to us and, and we should be happy to do that so take care thank you so much and sorry about the hiccups in the beginning of the show but that's just how life is always expect the unexpected and make the best uh, you know out of it right we did not get scared you know we didn't shy away we were not crying whining that you know oh god you know today is about just just a bad day find creative ways just to problem-solve things. And if you do have a child who is experiencing selective mutism, or you think it's, it's on, they have that condition, they are on that spectrum, uh, please seek help. Uh, Because I don't think we all are equipped with the technology and the resources to understand these things at that scale. And it's good to take help from people who knows what they are doing because they would have strategies. They would have different approaches of how to deal with this. So thank you so much once again, Dr. Stone. We will try to uh, keep you guys engaged with more and more interesting, fun stuff uh, on social skills in the long run. Thank you so much. Bye.
2: It's been a pleasure. I love his.